Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Henry Doss, who's a serial entrepreneur, and he's someone who understands what it really takes to grow a business. He's also the author of FQ, Financial Intelligence, which is available on Amazon. You got to check out your copy. I'll put a link down in the episode description below. And today we have a chat about what does it really mean to grow a business? How do you actually take an idea and turn it into something meaningful? And more importantly, what are all the important financial decisions you need to know about as you actually take your business and grow it? Check out this episode. You're going to enjoy it. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast, bringing you another great guest today. I'm sitting down with Henry Doss today. I got to tell you about him. He's a serial entrepreneur. We were joking about the difference between a entrepreneur and then someone who's actually gotten out and done it. Henry is that person. He started a business. He's made it happen. He's now a business coach. He's been a, a screenwriter, investor. He's also a, gotta love this, a loving husband and a father. We were just talking about his kids. Uh, and he's actually someone you can even talk to about something as fun as baseball cards. But talking about his business, his consulting business, Das Knowledge, he helps provide professional coaching for entrepreneurs and business owners for companies that have sales under $10 million. He also has a debut book, FQ Financial Intelligence, which is the culmination of his six decades of financial knowledge and experience. Henry, thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited. I feel like it's it's funny because we have all this small talk. I feel like we've already hit it off and our audience didn't get to catch any of that. But but I, I can already <laughs> you gotta, tell this. You got to press a- record earlier. That's what you have to do. As <laughs> soon as the guy gets on, press record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edit later. Just, just bomb him with it. Yeah. Well, I, I can already tell it's going to be a great episode. I'm excited to really dig in. Um, there's so much that I want us to be able to talk about today. First of all, I, I want to know... Um, let me just welcome you, and I want to know how you're doing today. I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I, as, as we talked about, I'm moving. So um, it's a bit of a three-ring circus here, <laughs> trying to get stuff packed up and, and coordinate everything and, and do all the other stuff that I have to do to keep, uh, to keep the lights on. So it's a bit of a challenge, but it's fun. And you're making it through the, man, I feel like I'm still, I feel like every episode I'm like, Hey, yeah, there's still a pandemic. It feels like I'm like, it's like beating a dead horse. It's like still, it's still a thing, but, but so you're it making is, it through the pandemic. It is a thing. My, my oldest son, Matt had COVID in uh, August. So Saturday night, he went into to the city, uh, New York city to, to hang out with a bunch of his friends and watch the Conor McGregor fight. And he didn't want to do it. And we encouraged him to. It's like, dude, you got to live your life. So, of course, he comes home. And yesterday he finds out that somebody there tested positive for COVID. And I'm like, oh, well, my you gosh. already had COVID. I don't know if you can reinfect. He's a nervous Nelly. So he's going to get an <laughs> antibody 
because um, he doesn't want his 59-year-old mother and 61-year-old father to get COVID. And I get that. I'm very, their kids have been very respectful, um, really trying to maintain best practices. But you've got to balance that between, and I want to be cavalier because hundreds of thousands of people have died and been sick. But you do have to still kind of live your life because uh, mm-hmm. you're never going to get this time back. Right. Well, it, it's it's definitely a really strange time. And it's, I think, navigating that balance between uh, common respect for your fellow man right. and and not also being like locked in your closet. <laughs> I know night. people who have not left their buildings in New York City since March. <laughs> I mean, yeah. literally locked down, having everything delivered and, and doing all the hands-free. There is an intermediate there somewhere. And, you know, I'm yeah. a type 2 diabetic, so I'm in that high-risk group. But I still, you know, will go to the Home Depot or, or go to Costco. Um, I keep my distance. I wear my mask. Mm. I don't do stupid stuff. <laughs> you know it's so okay. it's it's so simple and yet we 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 make it so challenging now now you mm-hmm. mentioned you you went over to costco i i'm a big fan of costco we don't actually have costco where i come from really i'm living in walmart world i'm uh, up in northwest arkansas where it's headquartered and okay. you know all the love in the world for walmart but i do wonder i do wonder what would life be like with a costco in uh, our state I- uh, I don't know. I was visiting. Yeah. We were visiting some friends uh, over the weekend uh, who live in the Hudson Valley. Uh, they're like us. They're like you know super COVID conscious, and and they had somebody in the house. But but the four you know the four of us have now did that is the, the sum total of our social scene. <laughs> it's just one <laughs> other couple, and we yeah. feel safe going there. And they said um, uh, a Taco Bell opened up uh, in the. In their neighborhood, and it was a big deal. It was like a big event. Uh, wow! <laughs> yeah. Okay, throw a parade. Why not? I've, I feel like I don't have the. I was just talking to someone the other day. I was like, man, I I, I really enjoy because we were talking about like what's like your cheat meal, like what's how do you veg out? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to get like a cheesy gordita crunch from Taco Bell. And then he was like, he was. We were talking back and forth about, it and, I, and I was like, but I always have like a big stomach ache. And he was like, oh, well, you need the Taco Bell Iron Gut. And I was like, well, <laughs> what is that? And he was like, oh, you know, it's like it's you build up your resistance to, yeah. you know, <laughs> the quality. I guess the the poor quality of the food. I have never eaten food. at a Taco Bell. I, never. I can say that I have never in my entire life. Have okay, I so do you have a, a fast food that you do go to, or are you at no fast food at all? If I have to go to any of them, I probably would go to Wendy's. Okay. Yeah, they seem to be kind of the the pick of the litter. I have been to McDonald's many times, of course, right? Especially having kids and bringing them up and happy meals. They do (laughs) an incredible job of marketing that stuff. Now uh, I, I have a I have a ten month old. Is this wow. like the is this the ultimate life hack? Is to know where the nearest McDonald's is? Uh, yeah, it's you know what we didn't go to McDonald's when I was a kid because we went there once with my dad. Again, we're talking the nineteen sixties when McDonald's was still relatively new, and he got all the way back home and they messed up the meal and he said we're never going to McDonald's <laughs> and we never did. He was a, he was a KFC man, and was <laughs> till the day he died. He held on to that grudge until <laughs> he held. My dad was known to hold. I've been known to hold. Oh my gosh! Grudges as well, but yes, he held on to that grudge. 
Oh, Henry, this is too funny. Well, hey, I, I, you know, I did, I read your bio, obviously I introduced you on the podcast, man. I want to hear your perspective. Tell, tell us a little bit, a little bit about who you are, what you do for a living, um, especially what you're doing nowadays. Um, you have such an incredible history in terms of everything you have done. Uh, give us your perspective, your take on it. So I started my first business 30 years ago, 1991. Before that, uh, I was working for the uh, New York Stock Exchange as a programmer living in New York City, living in lower Manhattan. Um, but I always knew I wanted to run my own business. I come from a family of, of professional people, entrepreneurs, um, doctors, lawyers, dentists. Uh, it was just kind of in the DNA. And you, you have a tendency to model what it is that you see. Um, and so that was, you know, I figured it was in my future. It wasn't until I turned 30. I started it as a side hustle, right? Talk about being a entrepreneur. Um, but it was an opportunistic business. You know, I look, at, I look at the origin story of businesses untold two ways. There's the opportunistic or otherwise known as the accidental business. And then there is the purposeful business where someone actually sits down and writes a business plan and does all that stuff. Uh, and goes through all of that. Um, neither is better than the other. Um, you know, I've done both. Uh, the only purposeful business I really did was my coaching business 10 years ago. Before that, it was all kind of accidental. A guy said he needed something, a friend of a friend. I said, yeah, I can do that. I did it. I made some money. And I said, yeah, there's really a business here. So uh, what, were you, uh, what were you doing in this first business? So uh, one of my college friends was a, um, uh, was a salesman for a leasing company, and he was complaining to me about how he couldn't get a bunch of Macs for one of his uh, Fortune 500 companies. Uh, I think it was Time, uh, Time Magazine or Sports Illustrated, somebody under the, under the, the, the Time heading. And, and back then in the early, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, it was all about PCs, right? The only place that Macintosh computers lived were the corporate backwaters of the graphic arts department. So um, I said, let me see if I could do it. And I went out and I actually bought the stuff retail and I reconfigured it. You're talking about, for those of us who want to go through the, the, the real uh, uh, archives, they were Mac 2 SIs and they had uh, 30 megabyte drives <laughs> and three megabytes of RAM. Wow. <laughs> and they needed they needed uh, like fifty megabyte drives and eight megabytes of RAM. <laughs> I'm talking mega, not not uh, not uh, gigs or terabytes. Right. So, and these things cost thousands of bucks back then. So I went, I bought them retail uh, from a gray marketeer, and then I bought a bunch of drives and a bunch of memory and upgraded them myself. And I made a couple bucks on it, and then he kept feeding me deals. And before you know it, I had a business. So how did you how did you have the cash to like put up for all these Macs or did you just have a, a nest egg that you're able to call credit cards? <laughs> I met a guy who funded his entire business. I was at a compact compact computer. Another thing from way back in the in the way back machine. Um, uh, he did about five or six hundred thousand dollars in business and he did it all on credit cards he said i have 30 credit cards i have a whole system that i manage it with an excel spreadsheet and that's how we ran the business oh my I gosh on, on paper this is like probably like the one of the biggest sins of like cash flow management and yet, <laughs> and, yet and hey you know you made it happen this guy desperate sounds like times he made it happen, desperate so. measures <laughs> I, eventually that guy who was feeding me deals 
became my business partner. And then we, I said, we need a credit line. So we went to Ingram Micro, who was, you know, still is one of the biggest distributors of electronics products in the world. And uh, his dad uh, said, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a $25,000 letter of credit that you could park at Ingram Micro. And we did. And they gave us $25,000 worth of credit, dollar for dollar. So Mm -hmm. if we, if we failed to pay, they, they pulled the, the LFC and that eventually grew up to a couple hundred thousand. Wow. Know, he backed us. He parked some T-bills and backed us. We never got a penny of leverage. I think we were at $200,000 uh, of, of credit line, and that was it. No leverage for you. Um, and then eventually we got a half a million dollar, what's called the flooring line, just on our own good looks. You know, that was a big day. That took about five years to get to that point. Um, yeah, you need credit. Well, maybe this is a good, we can even pause the story a little bit. Maybe this is a good point to segue and ask you about your book, FQ, Financial Intelligence. Sure. Uh, and I, I don't know if this was intentional. Obviously, EQ is really popular in the corporate world and in the training world of emotional intelligence. It was, uh, it was very intentional. Okay. IQ, EQ, <laughs> FQ. Well, so you're talking about F, FQ, Financial Intelligence. Right. I want to know a little bit more about this book that you came out with. So I was at a conference a couple of years ago in Bangkok um, for this uh, group. I'm actually wearing their T-shirt, D- uh, Dynamite Circle. It's all digital nomads. So BKK is, is Bangkok. So I'm at the DC BKK 2018. I don't, uh, I don't know. It's a couple of years ago. Sitting around a table with a whole bunch of coaches. We're talking about scalability because I coach one-on-one. And I, and I mentioned that you know my, my Jim Collins BHAG, my big hairy audacious goal, was to write a course in financial intelligence, not financial literacy. Literacy is the ability to read and write. No, I want it to be an intelligence. Take all those skills and actually do something with it. And they all kind of looked at me and said, well, dude, you know, you're not getting any younger. You might want to get on that. So uh, (laughs) I came back home and I sat down and I wrote this course in like two months. And then I tested it with about a dozen people and everything was great. And then somebody said, you know what? You should turn it into a book. Book will be your lead magnet. I'm like, I should have thought of that. Um, and then I went down the rabbit hole of creating a book because I really wanted it to be done right. So I had 250 infographics in my book. Well, I just scraped them off the internet and now it's like, oh, I got to go get permission. This is going to be printed on like real paper and distributed Mm. on Amazon and and actual places. Um, I'm not going to take somebody else's intellectual property. Mm. That took a long time. I actually did that myself, uh, which was a lot, a lot of work. And I hired a copy editor. What's a copy editor? Uh, I hired a guy to to lay it out in in design. You know, I'm not going to use Microsoft. I wrote the whole thing at Scrivener. It's like, I can't publish a book at a Scrivener. I mean, it's a good program, (laughs) but I can't publish a a book that's going to be on a bookshelf. So it was a big, big, big undertaking. So, So now the book is out in the world. I sell the course. So, um it's a 20 week course. I will teach it. I will teach you everything in the book, chapter by chapter, week by week. Uh, it's very methodical. It's pretty much everything I think you need to know from a personal finance stand- standpoint, from your first savings bond to your last will and testament. Now, is this, is this, um, financial, uh, is there, is there a, a link to running your business and making balance? A solid business decisions financially there, as there well? There is, but it's really meant more for people, for, for their okay. personal finances. Although, obviously, there are there are things that, that overlap. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. By the balance sheet and income statement, a statement of cash flows, all of those things. There's just certain things that go on in a business context, like capitalizing versus expended, uh, you know, capitalization versus expenses and depreciation and all mm. of the various business tax machinations that you just don't do in your in the personal world. But the but the concept is still the same, right? Mm. Your company needs to have a strong balance sheet. You need to have mm. a strong PL. Balance sheet might be for a person a statement of net worth, right? Mm. So, but it's the same thing. What are my assets? What are my liabilities? But more importantly, what are my contingent liabilities? Uh, my second chapter is called the thick green line, where I map people's age versus their net worth. So astonishingly, a lot of people will get to be the age of 30 and their net worth is zero. I know because when my wife and I got married, I was 31. We had a net worth of zero. <laughs> we just did. People come out, they got massive student debt. Yeah. So even though they might have a good job, they're going to turn around at 30 years old. And if they sat down and figured it out, they're going to realize that their balance, their balance sheet is zero. So how does that, how does that happen? How is that so prolific? I mean, is it, is it, uh, are, are we just so uneducated that we just well, don't? Yeah, yes. <laughs> what you said. <laughs> we are. They'll teach you. You know, I must have taken, I was an electrical engineer. I must have taken probably four or five years of calculus or calculus related stuff. When have I used calculus in my adult life at 61 years old? Mm. I, I've actually used algebra, uh, but I can't say that I've ever really used uh, logarithms, right? Once, I think, in all of my life did I ever have to deal with that. Do you remember uh, like in calculus? I, I don't remember what it was, but it was like, I might even be able to describe the example because it's so like foreign in my mind, but it's like this circle and it's like, it's like using calculus to know the difference between like, I guess, translating the angle of the circle to like the actual line. And we spent like weeks learning this concept and like memorizing mm -hmm, sure. the circle. I mean, literally like weeks. Like it was, I remember we even had a test that like the whole test was this circle and it, I mean, it, we couldn't have spent any more time on it. It was crazy. And in hindsight, I, I have never beyond that test used <laughs> that concept ever. You it's know? like a train leaves New York at 80 miles an hour. And then another one leaves Cleveland heading east at 40 miles an hour. You know, where do they meet? It's yeah. like, I don't care. I'm going to catch the next one. I really exactly. Exactly. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've actually been a teacher. I was a high school teacher in Houston, Texas. And man, it's such an interesting gap in terms of how we educate and prepare people for the real world. But even from like a business standpoint, there's not a lot of conversation on um, even what that looks like to start a business or to even run a business. And I was even, I was talking to somebody the other day, this was the other day, this is actually a couple of years ago. I was talking to somebody and I was joking about someone else I'd been talking to who had no idea what a PL was, mm -hmm. uh, a, a business owner who didn't know what a PL was. And so I was telling this person, I was like, I said something like, man, it was just so crazy. I mean, this person didn't even know what a PL was. And he goes, well, I don't know what a PL and is. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're, you're a million dollar plus business owner. How does that? And the guy I was talking to was kind of just, just, um, you know, accidentally succeeding his way forward. He, he, yeah. ran a, he ran a print shop and people showed up and they wanted stuff printed and he, he put it in the bank account and they're just, there just always was enough. I mean, he just, you know, God bless him. And that, that it just worked, you know, I just, and so. As I've said a zillion times, including on many a podcast, success is a great deodorant. Right? <laughs> it, it just, it just is. 
so part of part of of, of um, you know of writing this book and creating this course is to sort of demystify that, um, take a methodical step by step approach, um, try to keep it entertaining. I mean, uh, I call it a money memoir because I, I tell a lot of anecdotal stories. Uh, so that so that it's not just dry nonsense because I've read a lot of these books and they're boring. Um, it's tough to get people engaged in it, even though they're going to deal with money every single day from the pretty much the day they're born until the day they die. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, would be nice to have at least a little bit of acumen, even if you're going to outsource it to somebody else. Because I talk about it in the book. I talk a lot about stocks and bonds and investing and IRAs and all of those things, even if it bores you to tears and you want to outsource it, you still kind of need to know because otherwise you're at risk that somebody else is going to take all of your hard-earned money and abscond with it one way or the other, <laughs> uh, you know, either either maliciously or just by by yeah. um, by uh, ignorance or stupidity. Well, there's right. a lot. There's a lot to understand that we don't understand. We, as in just the general people, mm-hmm. sure. that we don't understand about money. Um, but there's other parts of it. I don't know if you ever saw that old SNL skit with, um, Steve Martin and he it's, it's on like credit card debt or something. And this person comes in, they're like, Hey, I'm here to help you with your credit card debt. And it's, it's he and his wife. And he's like, Oh, that's really great. And he goes, okay, so here's what you need to do. You don't want to spend more than you have. And it's this really great bit where Steve Martin's like, wait, what? Like, I don't, what do you mean? I can't. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's so simple. Just don't spend what you don't have. And he's like, okay, well, let's say that I want to buy a TV, but I don't have the money. Can I still buy it? And he's like, no, you can't. You know, so there's this other, there's this other piece of it that is really simple. That's like, okay, I, I'm not like a genius with money, but I at least know some basic things. It almost feels like, part of the mystery around finances is like this other piece of like personal uh, diligence, personal um, patience, I guess. It's like, I could, I, I probably shouldn't buy that, but man, I really want to buy that. You know, I, I, I probably don't need that, but I, but I want it, you know? So like, do you, do yeah. you address that? Sure. Like personal Absolutely. Habits in the, book? the very first chapter is called the psychology of money. Um, and it's there, there really there are, there are two goalposts. There's there's scarcity and there's abundance. Um, I know the people that that I interact with almost by and large live in scarcity, right? They want to protect what it is that they have. Uh, they're less they're not as concerned with the money that they haven't made yet or are are going to make sometime in the in the future. It's more about protecting what it is that they have. So that leaves them, in many cases, um, too risk averse. They're really never going to be able to achieve sustainable wealth because they're, they're just a little too scared. Right? Mm. They're living in scarcity. On the other side is, is people who live a little too much in abundance, right? The riverboat gambler. The guy who's out there just basically saying, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to live my life because if I'm lucky I got 80 years on the planet. Um I'll let my I'll, I'll let my heirs I'll let my executor worry about paying all my debts when I'm dead. You can make an argument in both directions, but again, you you want to achieve some level of balance. Right? Mm-hmm. You you want to you want to find that sort of sweet spot that says I don't want to deprive myself because life is short. 
and I got to do things. Just like I said, you know, if you want to go see the hang out with your friends and watch the McGregor fight, um, well, I guess there will be another one because <laughs> there's always a rematch. But you know what? It's a, it's it's a, these are life opportunities. I have an opportunity to be social with people, but you don't yeah. want to take stupid risks, right? Um, you don't want to go to a club uh, that's crowded with hundreds of people not wearing masks to watch the Conor McGregor fight. <laughs> but if you're going with a half a dozen guys in an apartment and you stay reasonably spaced, you should be okay. But but doesn't it seem like some of these things like. Uh, objectively we're like okay that's a bad decision you shouldn't do that but it feels like sometimes when you're in it it's like oh yeah that's that's the right decision and i i think about uh you know entrepreneurs who maybe they've just started their business i actually I just talked to someone the other day they were like okay we we want to we're gonna buy we have a van we're gonna buy another van and we're gonna also put money aside we're going to be buying a second location for the business as well and i said okay well hang on you you don't even have a, a customer first you don't have one customer yet. And so while I appreciate the long-term thinking you have, you don't want to start spin, spin, spending. You want to first make sure that you actually have some legs to this business. And, and I get in these conversations a lot where someone's like, well, no, 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 I have to, you know, it's the whole, like, I have to spend money to make money. And I'm like, yeah, but, and it's like this objective versus subjective where like you're in it and it's like, oh, I, I got to have that. I got to spend money on that. I, I need that for my business. Any, any advice on how someone can make like the right decision on this? This is how you, you decide the difference between long-term buying and short-term, I need this. Um, how does someone do that really well? All right. So there's a, a whole bunch to unpack there. Um, it reminded me a little bit of the late 90s during the whole dot-bomb era. So my mm. office was... Um, Broadway and 19th Street, 900 Broadway, which was, you know, renamed Silicon Alley because there were all these little companies popping up. <clears throat> and there was this whole idea of optics. You know, we have to show the world. So they're out there buying, you know, $1,000 Herman Miller Aeron chairs for everybody in the company. Um, they're building these gorgeous, beautiful offices. And the rationalization was, um, we're competing against people who are doing the same thing. We can't look like some schlub, mm. right? There's a book called One Up on Wall Street. I refer to it in my, in my book a number of times. It was uh, Peter Lynch who was, who was, um, who ran the, the Fidelity Magellan Fund for 20 years. Most successful mutual fund manager in the history of mankind. Um, and he would go visit companies and he would say, if I saw, you know, old, old desks and used furniture, that was a good thing. That meant that they had their priorities straight because this is not something that the world was going to see. Hmm. Um, and, but there's a balance there because there, the rationalization was, well, I'm, I'm not going to attract the right talent if I have some schlubby office space. I don't know if that's true or if that's a cognitive distortion. Hmm. Uh, what I do know is the Herman Miller Aeron chair that I own, I bought for a couple hundred bucks from a company that had gone out of business <laughs> after the <laughs> dot bomb. So there's nothing wrong with buying other people's folly and other people's mistakes. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a great insight in and of itself is, you know, if you're going to, if you are going to buy that next van, you know, buy the beat up one that you can fix up for cheap rather than, you know, you're on the car lot on the new, I don't know what, <laughs> I've never bought a van before. I bought a van for one of my guys and it had a hundred thousand miles on it. It was yeah. 10 grand. You know, when there I had my home theater business, it's like, 
it was in really good shape. He was very mechanical. He said, don't worry, I can maintain it. I'll take care of changing it and all that stuff. And you could just run it forever. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> I alternate between buying new cars and buying used cars, but I just bought a brand new car since I bought a new house. I bought a new, a new car to go with it. And I'll drive that till the fenders fall off. Right? Yeah. The best thing that I can afford and I will drive it until it can't drive anymore. I don't have to lease something and have it every three years because I want something new. I don't care that much about it. It's a car. It gets me from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about it, not even so much like the actual like in business decision making that we're just just now talking about, but also like for people listening who are thinking, man, I want to start my business. I want to start my business. I don't necessarily have the startup cash to do it. Uh, in fact, you see a lot of people in the business world who, or in the entrepreneurship world who will, you know, they'll quit their job. They'll jump in. Okay. I'm starting my business, you know, and then they, they realize, well, crap, I need to go get a, I need to go get a sale. I need to make this happen. Cause I literally I'm broke. Mm-hmm. Any advice for that, that early startup phase of, of how do you get cash or how do you position yourself to have cash? You know, not to, in, in a way that avoids being, you know, sort of like the Donald Trump, you know, I got a small loan of a million dollars from my dad, you know, or, or $500 million. <laughs> so right. what, what other, what other useful strategies can we use if we want to go start a business to actually have that cash ready um, so that we're not positioned poorly for it? Okay. So I have, I have another one of my many sayings. Uh, if you're going to let money get in the way of running your business, it will. Hmm. Interesting. Right. There's just, there's no way around that. Uh, like I said, I started that first company, I ran it off of credit cards. Pretty expensive way if you don't have the, the money. You know, uh, somebody doesn't pay you within the 30 day uh, time period. Um, and that happens all the time when you're when you're starting up because you wanna make sales and you'll give people generous terms. You know, you might get hit with 20% interest. You know, you gotta sit down and calculate whether you're actually making money and what it is that, that you're doing. Uh, one of the big mistakes that I see, and I've seen it happen with, with clients of mine, um, people will wanna bring on a partner or somebody key to get off the ground and they'll give them equity. Hmm. Right. Oh, I'm going to give you equity or I'm going to pay you less. I'm going to make you a partner, blah, blah, blah. Um, equity is very expensive. Uh, my, my feeling is that you should not offer equity to anyone until you have ex- uh, exhausted the debt markets. The world is awash with money, right? I mean, it just is. There are trillions of dollars out there available for people. Um you just got to go out and get it. And you have to understand that you're at risk. You, you, I, I had this on my mastermind. I run a, a um, investment mastermind group yesterday. And um, people are like, uh, I don't want to personally guarantee. It's like, that's part of the deal. You're on the <laughs> hook for it. And if things go south, you pay it back. And if you can't pay it back, you declare bankruptcy. And you get back on the horse and you keep going. So if you let all of those thoughts, oh my God, I've got to raise all of this money and this, that, and the other thing. If you let the thought of that stop you, it absolutely will. You'll never get out of the gate. That's why we call them entrepreneurs. Mm. Uh, They want uh, the security of the paycheck, right? Without the risk, even though I think working for someone else is actually riskier than working for yourself. Um, But that's, you know, a 30 year entrepreneur talking. Um, you just got to, you have to decide, can I tolerate this, 
right? Am I going to be able to sleep at night knowing that I just borrowed $100,000 by hook or crook to run my business? And if it doesn't work out, I'm broke and I got to pay it back. That'll wake you up in a cold sweat. <laughs> right? Well, I, I, I'm curious, just like listening to you, what was it like with your family as you were, you know, sort of growing your, your entrepreneurial acumen? Because it feels like there's this other piece of it of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe take out a loan or I'm going to take on some risk for starting my business. And there's this other piece of the sense of stability that your spouse either appreciates or doesn't appreciate. Uh, and, you know, if you have kids, you know, whatever that family unit looks like, any advice for people who, I mean, is it, is it mandatory that you have to have a spouse who's like, yeah, go get them or, cause it feels like there's a little bit of tension uh, there. I don't know if it's not. mandatory, but it sure helps. I mean, I walked in one day and I said to my wife after 18 months of running this as a side hustle, I'd done over a half million dollars worth of business. And I said, uh, I'm going to quit my $60,000 a year Wall Street job as a programmer with my platinum plated benefits. We had the, you know, the New York Stock Exchange had the best benefits imaginable. And I'm going to hang up a shingle and start this business. Right. And now she's an entrepreneur as well. Uh, she wasn't at the time, although she had, she had she had a side hustle. So if you can imagine two people working day jobs, she worked on Seventh Avenue in the in the in the Schmata business in the clothing business, uh, and had started a little kids line. I'm I'm having computers delivered to this tiny little apartment on Park Avenue South, uh, and we've got a baby. It was a three ring circus. Mm-hmm. So to some degree, it was like, maybe we were just too dumb to know any better. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe it was just that we were we were so confident, I hate to say overconfident, but maybe even slightly overconfident in our own abilities to make this work, uh, that we were willing to take the risk. Well, I have a, you know, God bless my wife. I mean, she's been so supportive since day one. But I have another friend of mine who was in the early startup phase of his business, and after several months, it, it just wasn't profitable. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like your story. He hadn't flipped a half a million dollars. I mean, he 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 was just going deeper into debt. Mm-hmm. And in talking with me, he was like, "Man, it's really challenging because my wife is like, it's kind of like not in like sort of the stereotypical rude way, but just like, hey, get a job. Like, this is <laughs> what are we doing? Like, this is really." not seeming to work. And he was kind of like, man, I I don't know what to do. Like, do I keep going on pushing on my dream or do I need to give up and go get a nine to five again? And I I didn't know the answer. I mean, I I just was kind of like, man, that's really hard. I I have no idea. It's tough. It is. And I don't don't know how someone navigates that. I mean, I don't know what that even looks like um, or even what a timeline looks like for starting a business. So expect uh, some drama. Let's just put it that way. I mean, as supportive as my wife was, and she had a very good job, and 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 even though when we got married, um, we didn't really have a proverbial pot to piss in. Within probably five or six years, we had a net worth of of, of seven figures, and have never not had a net worth of seven figures. So, um, you know, we were we were kicking ass, but that first year that I gave up the $60,000 a year job, that very first year that we were in business, I made 12 grand. I made a thousand bucks a month, mm-hmm. right? I mean, living in, in Manhattan, in Greenwich Village, New York City, I mean, that's <laughs> like, it barely pays your, your coffee bills. But that's because we were taking all of that money and throwing it back into the business, right? That's what we had to do. 
right? And did you Office just have, space, was it just such a deep equipment? belief in what you were doing? Like you were just like, this is going to work. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to make this grow or. It's it, it. Part of it is just the arrogant belief that <laughs> you cannot fail. Right. Yeah, I for think better there, or worse, to a right? large degree, you, you kind of have to have hmm. that uh, almost lunatic idea <laughs> that uh, failure is not an option. Failure is very much an option. I know right. I've had businesses <laughs> that have failed. So I, I know that uh, I've spawned a whole bunch of different businesses and uh, yeah, they can and will fail. Um, now, when you were first starting, was what, what was sales like for you? Was it hard? Was it easy? Was it something you felt my, really comfortable my, in? Or? My partner did the sales. So we determined from the very beginning that I was Mr. Inside and he was Mr. Outside. That's the way okay. we described it. We didn't have a buy-sell agreement, which I don't recommend, right? Because 10 years later, when the business kind of fell apart, um, and I wanted to get out of my relationship with him. That was actually the impetus to my hiring my first business coach hmm. was to figure out a way to get out of what had become a toxic partnership. Um, Which is, and, and I blame him. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a lot more common than I think people realize. And it almost feels like when uh, I was just talking to my sister-in-law who's starting a business with her boyfriend and I, I was kind of like, you know, you might want to have like an operating agreement. And it was yeah. like, no, like oh, we're, yeah. You know, and, sage but, advice, <laughs> sage, sage, sage. It, it always advice. starts with somebody who you're like, you know, we're buddies, you know, we're, we're in love. It's great. There's never going to be an issue. And mm. it feels like this is so common that eventually it, it spoils a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's just like romantic relationships. Oh, I man. mean, it just is. You know, uh, there's something to be said for a prenup. There's something to be said for a postnup, <laughs> even though I didn't have one because we didn't have anything. Yeah. Um, and now we just celebrated our 30th anniversary. So. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Um, so, yes, set the terms and conditions while everything is kind of chill where there's zero sales, right? Figure that out. Um, hire a lawyer if you have to. There's plenty of them out there. Certainly in New York, there's a, there's you can barely walk down the street and not bump into <laughs> 500 lawyers. So get that done. Stick it in a desk drawer, figuratively speaking, somewhere. Don't look at it. Don't obsess over it. Just have some parameters because partnerships are really, really tough to keep together. That's why the divorce rate is 70%. Same thing with businesses, right? Mm. It's tough. Make sure that you have complementary skill sets. Make sure that you kind of know what the terms of engagement were. What happened with myself and my partner was um, he kind of morphed into like a poor man's version of Mr. Inside and didn't really want to sell anymore. I still remember the day that I said, let's just switch roles. I will go out and do the selling and you can run the business inside. Oh no, I'm 100% responsible for the sales of this company. That was kind of his, his catchphrase. Well, get out and sell then, hmm. right? Because we'd yeah. hit a point where we were about $4 million worth of sale in the in sales um, uh, annually at, at the end of the nineties, but I could see the handwriting on the wall. I could see margins, you know, um, compressing. Computer business was a tough business. Um, I saw it. He didn't. Uh, and then finally, when the dot bomb, when that bubble burst, we had a leasing company as well. And, and you know, the proverbial shit hit the fan. Um, we were not prepared. We just weren't prepared. And, uh, you know, it's just like uh, think about COVID as the ultimate black swan event. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you were in the travel business one day, 
everything was hunky dory. And the next day it was, you were done. You were yeah. toast. Yeah. Uh, those are hard to prepare for. I get that, but you do need to have at least, you're not, you're not preparing for the worst case a meteorite hits you in the head, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> but you do have to have some rational understanding of what the risks are and what the downside to your business is. And, yeah. and one of those is, you know, my spouse says she's on board, but when things get tough, I can tell you even from my experience, uh, you know, my wife had, a, we had a few, you know, pointed uh, arguments, <laughs> discussions, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is you might want to call that. Um, about why the business wasn't more successful that early on. Mm -hmm. But in my defense, I will tell you that it took three, uh, at, at year three, I was making more money than I was making from the job that I left. You know, and I, I, I felt think, vindicated. I, I think that's part of the value though, in this whole conversation is, you know, it's, I can't remember the expression. It's, it's something like it's going to take longer than you think it will or, or yeah. whatever said much exactly. sexier the way I just said it. Right. But, um, I think a lot of people, they start a business and they really expect to replicate their past job salary, like in the first month or the first three months. Mm -hmm. Um, you made it happen by year three and year three is about what I, I typically hear from people. I had another guy who he works, he's a, uh, one is literally one of the world's leading dental, uh, cosmetic, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he said in the dental industry, it's literally on average, it's about 10 years yeah, before someone becomes actually profitable. Um, so to have that endurance, I think it's tough for many of us, especially in a day of social media where everyone, you know, you're in business for 10 years, but you tell your overnight success story on social media of, <laughs> yeah, it just happened. It just worked. So, um, for better or worse, that's the, what yeah. we're like, I guess that's about setting expectations. Right. So you look at that and say, uh, okay, if I don't make a nickel for the next two years, as I, as I ramp this business up, uh, how are we going to be, mm -hmm. you know, am I going to be able to sleep at night? Is my wife or husband, um, going to continue to support me? It it's tough. So these are all questions that you, that you should answer before you've spent a nickel on this business, right? Mm -hmm. Do yep. all this stuff while it's, you know, while it doesn't really cost you anything. Yeah. It's um, great advice. Henry, this has been such a fun episode, man. I feel like I, I feel like I just gleaned just me personally. I feel like I gleaned a lot of really great information and insight from you. Good. I aim to please. <laughs> Tell my <laughs> listeners, people who are listening right now, they're like, man, I gotta, I gotta know who this guy is. I gotta, I gotta meet this guy. I gotta talk to this guy. I gotta connect with this guy. And maybe I, I even need to get into this course that this guy's offering. Uh, what can my listeners do to both connect with you and learn more about you and what you're offering. Yeah, that's easy. So my website is called Das Knowledge, D-A-A-S Knowledge. I also have D-A-S-S Knowledge because people misspell my name all the time and it just does a redirect. Uh, so Das Knowledge, if you go there, I, I give away lots of stuff. I give away my book. If you click on the FQ link, you can scroll down the page. It'll take you to a landing page and you can download the book for free from BookBaby. Uh, because the only one who makes money off of books is Jeff Bezos, and he's already got enough. Um, I just want people to read it. Um, uh, there are uh, little quizzes on there, money mindset quiz. Uh, there's a bunch of giveaways, 10 things to ask when hiring a business coach, and five reasons small businesses fail. They're like long-form PDFs, like 20, 30-page PDFs. So if you like to read, if you don't like to read, uh, I don't have any videos. I'm sorry. I'm old school. I'm a boomer. Um <laughs> 
And then, or, or you can go to henrydoss.com, which is kind of an amalgamation of uh, like all my stuff, including the aforementioned screenplays and baseball cards and other stuff that I like to do, my golf trips. Um, yeah, if you click on Get My Help when you come to my website, you can sign up for a free strategy session. What I give away um, for podcast listeners is if you go to podcast.dosknowledge.com and complete the survey, I will give you a month of free coaching, either on money or business or a little bit of both. Wow. Right? And that's only for people who listen to the zillions of podcasts that I do. I love it. Well, Henry, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It was such a joy and I so appreciate it. And I will be sure to make sure I put those links down in the episode description below. Awesome. Yeah, it was great fun. Really enjoyed uh, our chat. Yeah, me too. Hey, for our listeners, if this is your first time listening, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you're at. And remember, just like I mentioned, I'm going to put those two websites, Das Knowledge and HenryDoss.com, down in the episode description below. I'm also going to put a, a link to uh, Henry's social media, his LinkedIn, and also his Facebook page. Those will also be down in the episode description below. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It actually helps us out quite a bit. And of course, don't forget, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash good advice. If you want to buy myself or our next guest a cup of coffee, or if you want to get all sorts of premium content, you can do that. Just go to patreon.com slash good advice. Hey, thanks for listening. So appreciate your support. We'll catch you later. See ya.